Hockey Central at noon on Sportsnet 960. The Fan. It is Hockey Day in Canada Eve here on Sportsnet 960. The fan, Peter Klein, Logan Gordon with you on Hockey Central at noon as uh, a lot of breakdown coming up of the Flames and the Vancouver Canucks. Calgary gets a win. Uh, Probably file that one in the they don't ask how, they ask how many category. Uh, But Calgary will be happy to come away with two points on the road. We have Peter Labardius in a matter of moments. We have Eric Francis for Eric Francis Fridays. And we have you on the text line at 960-960. Calgary's win streak is now at three. Let's break it all down with Peter Labardius. Flames Insider, Peter Lubardius, brought to you by the Gemini Group Home Renovations. Your home renovations should be a reflection of who you are. Give your home the Gemini difference. The Gemini Group, now offering Air Miles Reward Miles. Visit GeminiGroup.ca. This guy is so well prepared for every hockey game. I don't think I don't think he cares where he's playing, to be honest with you. Whether it's home, here, anywhere else. He, he's such a competitive guy. He takes so much pride in his personal performance and the way that he prepares. Uh he wants to win at everything. So the fact that it's a game, he wants to he wants to compete and win. I don't, you know, I don't think there's anything added to it in the fact that it's here. It's just uh, it's it's just the way that he is. A perfect summary of what it looked like for Jacob March from last night, Peter Labardius, as if he was affected by the emotions of playing in Vancouver, he hit it very well. When you think about his first two big and different appearances against Vancouver. So the first one is your first meeting, and that was the January 16th game, which, by the way, he recorded a shutout. Then in his first game back in Vancouver, which had to bring with it a little extra emotion and feeling and lots of time for reflection, especially, you know, in COVID times when you have more time on your hands and, You know, you're spending significant time by yourself in your room thinking you want to, we talk a lot about people's ability to block out potential noise. Hasn't he done that in spades in those two, not to mention the other game that he was also great in. I mean, he has stopped 92 of 95 in three games against the Vancouver Canucks. And Peter, you truly wonder where that game goes last night in the first period had it not been for his brilliance. And brilliance, I don't think, is too strong an adjective, especially in the first half of the hockey game. thought that the Canucks derived a lot of momentum off an early power play. Rasmus Anderson on a strong side pinch in the first minute of the game um, upended a Canuck. And the Canucks, a desperate group, needing to win, built from there. And Jacob Markstrom, as I like to say every once in a while, even on the broadcast, said, no, 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 not tonight. Yeah. And we've talked about some of the the inconsistent play in front of him at times. And... Uh, I think last night, a a great example where this was another one where the the start wasn't where we wanted it to be from a Flames perspective, but it it never, like, it it feels like the Flames are in every game because that guy is in net. I I don't feel like I'm overstating it. Like, him specifically is the reason why you feel comfortable from a Flames perspective, or at least more comfortable on a night-in, night-out basis. I don't think there's any question about it, and we've mentioned this a number of times on this noon hit, and, you know, part of the Flames 
finding their way to a better place and more consistency. And listen, their mindset, trust me, is not necessarily going into every game that Jacob Markstrom plays, but boy, oh boy, it's, it's nice in this cold weather to have that big, comfy, warm blanket that you can throw, <laughs> throw on. And, you know, in a season where a lot of teams, not just the Flames, are looking for more consistency and trying to find that standard or blueprint performance that we saw in the game before, really, against the Winnipeg Jets. I mean, you want to talk about having an ace in your hand. It's been Jacob Markstrom, and as you'll hear now from him, yep, just another business trip. Well, as even Derek said on the show last night, that's taking care of business. It's extra tough games like this when you're you're playing against, you know, guys that's been been close friends and that you see every day and that that are still close friends. So it's, uh, uh, you know, for me, for me personally, I, I really need to try to try to focus extra hard these games and not to get, uh, uh, you know, derailed and uh, uh, worry about anything else but stopping the puck. Did you? Well, and I, I love the awareness from him too. Like it's not just because a lot of times in these situations, it's it's just another game. Have to treat it like that. I don't think of the blah 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 blah. And, and I like that he was aware enough to say, "Yeah, this is going to be different, and this is going to be emotional for me. So that just means I have to work that much harder." Like I really love the approach that he is taking in that response. But isn't that the impressive part? As we've already touched on today, is yes, you you can tell me all you want that it's not different. And had there been, you know, an opportunity maybe to visit with more people and, um, you know, spend time with his old teammates, that probably throws a little bit of a wrinkle in it. But like I said a couple of minutes ago, that the consummate outstanding players in any sport have the ability to focus on the job regardless of all the potential noise and distraction. And, you know, you just have to give him an absolute A-plus for how he's been able to handle that situation. One more on Markstrom before we move on, um, although we could probably gush about him the entire hit. He's been that good. The thing that I, I think I, I think we have a lot, haven't we, over, the, <laughs> over, his, over his first few weeks as a member of this team? Yes, yeah, and he's again, he's given us plenty of opportunities to, to do so. Um, the thing that has caught me about him the, the most... Can I guess? And again, Can I guess? Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. His ability to play the puck? Uh, it's not that, no, although that okay. has greatly improved. Uh, the thing that catches me, there are so many times, that we saw it last night, where there is um, a deflection and the puck goes in, and I hold the goalie at zero fault for any of that. That is a weird play. But there are so many times where there's a deflection and he's just in the perfect spot to make the save. And it's it's a little thing. And in the grand scheme of things, probably not a super important thing. But those deflection goals just aren't happening with him. And I don't know if that's luck. I don't know if that's positioning. But even the hard chances where you're just on, on any other goalie, it's yeah. That went in. You can't really blame him for it. He's even stopping those, and that's the thing that is standing out to me the most. Well, the one thing about Jacob Marstrom that maybe we haven't talked about enough, and I think, Peter, if you're looking for a reason why that's the case, is when people talk about his work ethic being at a completely different level, when we've made mention of 
you know, watching him on a daily basis in conversation during practices, you know, with the goaltending coach, Jason LaBarbera. This guy's preparation is exquisite. And when your preparation is exquisite, your positioning probably has an opportunity to be exquisite. Not to mention that, you know, he has incredible size. And no, it's it's not complete good fortune by any stretch. He just, he studies the game immensely. He works at his craft beyond belief. And, you know, Jeff Ward to me has just, in, in so many ways, he's made me think about the game at a level that, you know, few have in my career. And certain statements he makes really sticks out. And, and this to me applies to a lot of things. And I think Jacob Markstrom, Peter, is right at the top of the list. And that is, we all love to lean on and work on the things that come easy and that we're really good at. But Jeff talks a lot about the great ones spend probably more time working at things that don't come easily and that we're not as good at or originally inclined to be good at. And I truly believe in the case of Jacob Markstrom, that's the case. Chatting with Peter Labardius here on the Jacob Markstrom Appreciation Hour on Sportsnet 960 <laughs> The Fan. Uh, I'm Peter Klein. He is Logan Gordon. Uh, Lou, it's funny to look at last night and see that the Flames wind up going 0 for 3 on the power play. But as we know and have talked about previously, sometimes it's it's not just about scoring on the power play. It's about the momentum shifts that can come from even just having a successful power play, even if you don't score. Well, there's there's little doubt. And Logan, just to start with that, didn't we see that in the first power play of the night? I think we did. I think so. I, I, I put Calgary on their heels for the most of the first after that early. I, I don't. I don't think there's any doubt about it. So absolutely, you know, in a lot of cases, it's not always that you score, but does it build momentum? And and does it, you know, think about it this way too. So you get an early power play, and, and you see it work in reverse. It does a couple of things. You know, if you can have a good one. It feeds your best people, too, because they get early touches and good touches, and, and they, they're in the game now, and they're comfortable with the puck. And then it generally, that's what it does. It's, it's way more than that because it'll feed your best players, and it feeds momentum because they get on a roll, and it also affects your five-on-five game. So um, we saw that in the first until the end of the first. And think about the sequence of events that leads to the uh, non, but yes, power play goal by the captain, Mark Giordano, who I thought may have had his best, most impactful game of the season. Well, the Flames had probably in the neighborhood of a full minute in the zone, which the work that you have to do, you know, and, and Corey Sarge obviously can speak to this as doing it for a long, long time. Hard work comes on the penalty kill. It, it takes a lot. I would suggest that's some of the hardest working time that you have when you have to think about, you know, your ability to position and have your stick in the right place and your body, you know, the defense having to box people out, win loose puck battles, know when to challenge, know when to back off. That's a real science. 
good penalty killing is an absolute science. And so the Flames have it in the zone for a minute. And what I liked about, you know, both goals that weren't technically power play goals, Logan, a shooting mentality and you get people to the net. And yes, we've seen it the other way around this season, haven't we, with five or six goals, especially early. I mean, it took a long time for Jacob Markstrom after the Winnipeg game on opening night to actually have somebody beat him where a puck didn't bounce off somebody. But part of the important note in that is you have to be in front of the net to have a puck bounce off of you. So that happened last night on a couple of occasions. And so you talk about momentum. I think those are even harder to swallow, Logan, because when you give up a power play goal late in a kill, or in that case, literally one second twice, not once, but twice, don't you think that would just deflate the living daylights out of you? Because you've done all that hard work. You know, you're seconds away from potentially a clear or a stoppage that might actually feed your momentum. And instead, you give one up. So I think the late ones or goals that come just after you're done penalty kills, I think those can zap you even more than if you, you know, gave one up 15 or 20 seconds in. I'm curious. I don't know that we've had, or at least maybe I, I wasn't uh, listening, but I don't know that we've had the chance to just get your feel on, on, on Vancouver really as a whole on this, this losing streak and what you saw from them last night specifically, because I thought they played a pretty good game overall. It's just, Maybe the bounces aren't going their way, and that's a little bit harder when you've been struggling of late. Logan, in a lot of cases, and and I remember actually Mike Keenan talking about this in my early time in Calgary, where one of his statements was, in long losing streaks, generally you'll play a couple of pretty good games or a pretty good game, before you end up with the right result. So in the case of the Canucks, I I really liked their effort in Toronto. There was certainly a lot to like about what they did, but because your confidence is fragile until good work finally turns into a win, I, I think you are in close games, maybe more susceptible. But if you're Travis Green and you're the Vancouver Canucks, and I know for sure you know, in Vancouver right now, the hockey world is is about to completely crumble and we need to trade everybody and fire the GM. And, you know, I can't even imagine the wherewithal in the narrative. And it doesn't get any easier on them, by the way, when every time you turn around, somebody who used to play for them is the first star or the best player against them. That's not helping their mindset. But in terms of how they have been playing... I I see a team that's starting to come out of it. And, Logan, you might not have heard this. I know Peter and I chatted about this either yesterday or the day before. You know, even on defense, when Travis Hamanick comes back in, you know, and and he gets up to speed and probably gives you between 18 and 20, I think their whole defense slots completely different. So that will be a huge, huge advantage for the Canucks. And I think... You know, their back end, which has had a really tough time, have they really been able to get into any kind of groove? They've had nothing but injuries in that part of the game. 
since the season started, on top of the fact that, you know, they changed, not only just losing Tanev, but I talked in the broadcast and we talked, you know, Peter knows this too, you know, from the summer, no Stetcher, no Fantenberg, and maybe those aren't the sexiest names, but that's a lot of turnover. And when you have a bunch of new people, now you, you have, have to learn systems, you need to fit in terms of partnership, you have to understand your role. It's, it's a lot, it's not as simple as I think from the outside it looks. That's when you, when you revamp half of a group, and I know in Calgary it looks pretty easy because it's been pretty seamless. You know, you've seen the same six guys play in every game back there, but that's, that's not been the case for Vancouver, and they're still not there yet. Couple more here with Peter Labardius on Hockey Central at noon. Uh, back on the Flames side, it, it has not been the start of the season that Mark Giordano would have envisioned, but uh, he, he would certainly take more nights like last night. I, I thought he was pretty darn good there last night. Well, wasn't that the captain at his best? And yeah. not as much about the fact that he had his second multi-point game, has a goal and an assist. But down the stretch of that game, you know, on the penalty kill blocking shots, winning board battles, clearing pucks down the ice. You know, did a nice job, obviously, on the other side of specialty teams. That was Mark at his best, laying it all out there with his great battle and great work. And I thought in terms of his decision-making, and listen, I don't, I don't care if you've been a great player, a Norris Trophy winner, it doesn't matter. Um you know, when you get off to maybe not exactly the start you're looking for, you need a couple of games like the one he had to kind of reset. And and I'm hoping in his case, you never question the work. I've said that, you know, since day one with him. But the work is always going to be great. Now the opportunity to execute and really impact the game. And, you know, Peter, that's the part that really stood out for me last night. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and, uh, like I said, I I think he and the Flames would certainly take more nights like that. Um, Just as we look ahead now to to Saturday, um, are we expecting any adjustments, or or what are you looking to see for Saturday? Well, the one adjustment, I think you made the point of it right off the top, is, you know, you you don't want to dip your toe in like what happened last night. You know, you won a hockey game, um, you found your way, you're, you built, you had an excellent third period, but, you know, if you think the Canucks were desperate last night, hockey night in Canada, Saturday night, six in a row they've lost, lose more ground in the race with other teams, including the Flames winning, like, they have to have it. They really have to get something out of it. So, you know, the Flames, there's no way in – They could have been pleased with their start to the game. Their goalie steadied the ship. So that's the biggest adjustment for me is just, you know, get to your game early. It took them a long time, really, to get to their game. One more thing to do. It is a Friday, so it is now time for Lou's Mailbag. Lou's Mailbag, brought to you by Ruth's Chris Steakhouse. Their award-winning steak is back, just in time for Valentine's Day. A world-class dining experience awaits, with added efforts to ensure safety and comfort. 
You know the drill, sportsnet.ca slash 960. Submit a question. If we pick it and then read it, you get $100 to Ruth's Chris Steakhouse. Dennis did that, and we are now asking his question. Um, Mr. Labardius, the question from Dennis reads, Flames coaching staff, what are the job duties while coaching on the bench of a Flames game? We know Jeff Ward being the head coach, but what exact job duties do each of the associates assistant coaches do? Well, I'll try my best, you know, as someone who has has certainly coached the game, but it hasn't been for a long time, and it was with, you know, 12-year-olds. So it's very, <laughs> very different, um, but spent a lot of time around them, needless to say. You know, I mean, in the case, in the case of Jeff, you know, he, he's, running, he's running the bench. He's changing forward lines. Ryan Huska, who looks after the defense, you know, a big part of his game duties is, you know, getting the next pairing and the next people ready. You know, as for the other coaches, they're there to to help and guide and, and chat with the players because they see things happening. They also have people relaying messages down to them who have a different look. Um, you know, Jamie Pringle, their outstanding video coordinator. So, you know, they work with the iPads that you now see being very prevalent. So they all have a specific role, you know, in helping your group through the course of the game. And the two, you know, the two main roles, in, in a sense, but not the only ones, are, you know, you're, you're changing on the go, both for Jeff, certainly for Ryan Huskin. It's a very collective effort to do it. And, and, and Peter, I think, I think this is just another situation where it can look easy. And then the last time that I've had an opportunity to coach any kind of hockey game came several years ago when, when the Hitmen were kind enough to ask on a couple of occasions, if I would help out with their, you know, their inner squad game to kick off the season. If you think it's easy to sit back there, be completely aware of absolutely everything in the game, know who's going out next, understanding, you know, what has to happen coming in and out of power plays, bump up shifts. You want to talk about a science and something that requires incredible attention and detail. Like coming up with a plan is one thing, you know, then for the coaches, it's about feel and reading the situation and understanding who's going putting them in the best positions that they can to be successful. I'm not sure there's anything that I spend more time thinking about than coaching and leadership and just so fortunate, you know, including with this incredible flames coaching group that I get to deal with right now. Like what an awesome, awesome opportunity to just be the best sponge you can and learn. So lucky. So lucky. Uh, so there you go. Excellent question, Dennis. And because of that, you are getting a $100 gift card to Ruth's Chris Steakhouse. Uh, thank you very much, Dennis. That is Lou's Mailbag. Lou's Mailbag, brought to you by Ruth's Chris Steakhouse. Opening just in time for Valentine's. Relax and enjoy while Ruth's Chris makes the experience safe and comfortable for everyone. Go Flames, go. Stay. All right, Lou. Oh, sweet potato casserole, that, that banana dessert they got going on. Oh, I can hear Nance in the other room. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess we might be headed there. 
have a great have a great weekend everybody and thanks to tim collins and the terrific people i'm I'm excited for them that you know they're just about ready to truly welcome people in for a outstanding dining experience oh so good lou have a good weekend we'll chat again soon. okay you too guys be well flames insider peter lubardius brought to you by the gemini group home renovations your home renovations should be a reflection of who you are give your home the gemini difference the gemini group now offering air miles reward miles visit geminigroup.ca this valentine's day weekend i say find someone who loves you the way lou loves that sweet potato casserole because like just we'll bring it up without any prompting whatsoever hey lou how are you today as good as the sweet potato casserole at ruth's chris uh but it's definitely uh, a love that is earned time for us to uh to take Time for us to take a break. When we come back, uh, Eric Francis Friday, the goaltending position firmly in the spotlight last night as the Flames beat the Vancouver Canucks. A little bit more on that situation with Eric Francis as we continue here on Hockey Central at Noon on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Hockey Central at Noon on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. We continue on our breakdown of Flames Canucks from last night here on Hockey Central at noon. Peter Klein, Logan Gordon with you today. Uh, as always, your texts welcome at 960-960. It is now time for a Friday staple on this program. Eric Francis Friday is brought to you by Hyatt Infinity. Get three payments on the house when you lease or finance a 2020 or 2021 model. Hyatt Infinity, Heritage Meadows Road on Luxury Lane. Uh, Mr. Mr. Francis, I said before with Lou, it's this was one of those they they don't ask how they ask how many types of wins from the the Flames last night. Not a perfect performance, but a win nonetheless. So, what did you make of the the game last night? Well, yeah, to me it was identical to the uh, it was like the reverse retro version of the the Leaf game they lost, in which they thought they played really well, they thought they were the better team, but they were the victims of some bad bounces. Uh, so, you know, as they say, it all evens out, according to the hockey gods. And uh, Vancouver, of course, feels like it's not evening out at all, and they're just getting screwed. And, and hey, the Flames felt like that earlier in this year, too. So, uh, you know, yes, a fortuitous win. Um, I do think that, you know, Johnny Gaudreau's goal was obviously a phenomenal goal. And, mm-hmm. you know, at least they got that one goal. You didn't just win it on two lucky bounces. You, you also got an insurance marker that was pretty impressive, too. So, uh, full marks, but you know, I, I debate back and forth. You know, like people like Kelly Rudy and others will say, "Hey, the goalie's part of your team." So just because your goalie steals the game doesn't, you know, that he's part of your team. It's just part of the way hockey works. Jacob Markstrom. I mean, where would the Calgary Flames be without Jacob Markstrom? I mean, you know, maybe Cam Talbot or David Riddick would be standing almost as tall, but I doubt it. Um, of the seven wins Markstrom has. I'd say three or four are pretty close to heists, you know, whereas if he doesn't stand on his head in the first period in particular, uh, this team loses. So without, Mar- you know, I-, I don't think you could say that there's a better signing in the NHL this year. It's actually, actually an interesting debate we could have for another day, but if there's been a more effective one, I mean, him, Tyler Toffoli is another good one. I'm going to miss a whole bunch, but, it's pretty hard to believe that there's one that's had more of an impact than Jacob Markstrom, and, and to a lesser extent, Chris Tanna. But Markstrom has been their MVP and, and was again last night. 
Yeah, and uh, I think if you want uh, not a straight line comparison, but a bit of an example of what life is like without Jacob Markstrom, uh, the Vancouver Canucks are living it right now. And, and like you yeah. said, some bounces don't necessarily go their way. But no, he has been like team MVP, everything you want to say about Jacob Markstrom. There is no praise that is too high for how good he's been playing so far. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he just, you know, there was, I wrote in my column last night just about how that moment when Brock Besser stopped by and had a few words with him. And uh, Markstrom didn't want to elaborate on what was said. He said he actually forgot. I mean, I don't know if I believe him, but, you know, he said he was in his zone. He had to work very, very hard not to think about, you know, his surroundings. He was in a building that he called home for a lot of years and playing against some of his best friends in his, in his life. And uh, so he, he really had to stay focused and it worked like some guys crumble under that pressure, but it's another good sign that he rose to that occasion. I mean, he stopped 92 of 95 shots now against the Vancouver Canucks this season. Uh, it's, it's quite remarkable what he's done and uh, can't say enough about him. And, but another storyline, you know, to me that that's not getting talked about and probably won't get talked about in, uh, for a while is the fact that the Flames, you know, may finally have some semblance of what they hope their lines can look like moving forward. You know, I, I think they're top nine right now. They're very happy. I mean, they've obviously won three in a row with it. But having Bennett up on that second line with Gaudreau and Monaghan, uh, you know, has it been stellar? No, but it's been pretty competent. And um, I, I've said this before, and I'll say it again and again. I really believe that uh, Sam Bennett is going to finish this season as a Calgary Flame. I really believe that's what the team wants. And I think that if they can keep him on that second line and he can be somewhat productive or at least happy with those guys, I think that's what Sam Bennett wants is to stay in Calgary. So it may end up being much ado about nothing because uh, I can tell you that this GM is still certainly not out there beating the bushes trying to find a trade partner. He is not in any hurry whatsoever. I think he'd rather wait and see how this uh, latest experiment with Bennett on the second line works out. Yeah, and I think so far, so good. As you mentioned, that Monaghan uh, connection with Gaudreau last night was just kind of a reminder of the, the high level of skill that you're dealing with. But I, I've liked Bennett the, the last little bit, and I think, quite frankly, since the, the trade request and all of that report came out, I, I think he's handled it about as well as you could, even with a healthy scratch in there. He spoke with the media. There was obviously a tone that he wasn't thrilled about the decision, but he's gone out and, and I think handled this very, very well, and I think should be commended for that. Yeah, I, I agree. And, you know, other than Yuri Hoodler and uh, Elias Lindholm, Goudreau and Monaghan have played together for, what, six-plus years, and really, other than those two guys, have not found chemistry with anybody else. So there's a very good chance that they don't go the, they, they go the whole season without chemistry. It hasn't slowed Monaghan and Goudreau down. The, both of them are off to great starts. And they've done it without a third person on their wing. They've done it with a rotating mm -hmm. cast of guys. And, uh, you know, and that's a really good sign because, you know, no longer is an excuse for those guys, oh, we can't find any chemistry. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it, it, it's quite yeah. remarkable. I don't know of any many lines or duos in the league who couldn't care less who their third cog is in that wheel and they still just keep chugging along. It's, it's a real feather in their cap. And, you know, we're, we're all pretty quick and, uh, you know, to, to really rain down on Johnny Gaudreau uh, in the playoffs when he, when he falls short. But I've never, ever stopped praising Johnny Gaudreau for the creativity um, and all the other things he brings to the, to the uh, ice, you know, through the regular seasons. 
the guy's a marketing dream come true. He's a good teammate. He's quiet, but he's a good teammate. Um, you know, we really do need to maybe shower him with even some more love right now because the guy is, uh, the guy is, I, I wouldn't say quietly, but he's just gone about his business with a really new steady resolve since all the criticism he faced in the offseason. Chatting with Eric Francis here on Eric Francis Friday. Speaking of Gaudreau, you're going to have a piece coming out on him in a little bit. Um, you sent me a list of things that he talked about. And quite frankly, I don't know if you're pranking me or not. So I'm just going to have <laughs> you say all of these. Because like that, that whole, this whole text reads like a Mad Lib. So if you could maybe, I don't want you to give the whole piece away, but um, that is everything I didn't know about Johnny Gaudreau right there. Johnny Gaudreau's recent obsession with iguana wrestling uh, is something that he's been he's open about now. Um, his fear of flying. I didn't know he had a fear of flying. Him and John, Sean Monahan, I guess, whenever a plane takes off or lands, they have to pause and take some deep breaths together. Um, you know, he's got a real passion for the show Friends. He even likes Ross on Friends. He's the only guy I've ever heard who likes Ross on Friends. Anyway, all this was revealed. Uh, I'm going to tell you this. Johnny Gaudreau... I've covered this guy for seven years here in Calgary, seven plus years. I learned more about Johnny Gaudreau in the Spit and Chicklets episode I listened to earlier this week than I've learned in seven years of talking to him. And, and it's not necessarily a criticism. He, he, PK, you know, I mean, he, he does his media. He doesn't reveal much. He's very pretty soft-spoken. He doesn't volunteer information unless it's, you know, procured out of him. He's, you know, he, he's pretty beige, I guess, you know, and I don't mean to sound critical, but he's just not a colorful guy who gives you a lot, as, as opposed to Matthew Kachuk, who every time he has a press conference, something usually comes out of it, right? Um, mm -hmm. On this Spit and Checklist episode, Johnny Gaudreau's on there for almost 45 minutes. They talk about everything from the, his nickname, Johnny Ham and Cheese, Fat Johnny, Ross Gaudreau. Uh, they talk about the trademarking of Johnny Hockey. They talk about his fear of flying. This iguana wrestling, that was the, the, the takeaway for me. I guess he fell in love with iguana wrestling. And for those who are unfamiliar, if there are, in fact, still some people who don't know what iguana wrestling is, <laughs> you take two people, you take their belts and you combine their belts. You put them both around your neck and you get on all fours, nose to nose, like an iguana would. And then you try to back away from the other one, basically in a tug-of-war fashion. And whoever can drag the other one the furthest wins. And this is somehow something that the U.S. team did at the World Championships in 17-18 when Johnny Gaudreau was on there with Charlie McAvoy and Dylan Larkin. And he said it, he, he just became obsessed. He would challenge everybody on the team to iguana wrestling. Uh, it is a fascinating, fascinating tale that he tells. Anyway, I've detailed it all in a column that's just about to be posted on sportsnet.ca momentarily. And it's just funny, funny stuff. Um, he also talks about the criticism that he faced from people like me and many, many fans and, and, and other media types after the playoffs. And he said, you know what? That was the first time in my life I've ever really been criticized for hockey. And when you think about it, that's an amazing, amazing statement. When your career has gone that well, that you feel like that's the first time you've ever really been really hammered. That's a pretty good run he's had so far. Uh, but he said yeah, no it really... Kidding. Right? Like, I mean, everybody, even the best. I mean, Connor McDavid, uh, Wayne Gretzky, they all go through spells where they get hammered for something or another. But uh, he said that that was a real 
He said he didn't like it, but he also took a lot from it. And he understands the passion of the city. And he said, I learned from it and I got better from it. And I came into camp wanting to prove people wrong and, and uh, prove that I can uh, make people in this city happy. So there was a lot to unpack in that. Uh, I kind of bullet pointed it in my column as well, but uh, he also has a really funny story about his signing bonus of $97,000 and what he did with it when he went back to his campus after his one game with the flames, put it into an ATM <laughs> machine put it into an ATM machine on his debit card, which never had more than 300 bucks on it. And suddenly had 97,000 to spend on his friends uh, in restaurants and bars. And I'll let him tell the rest of the story in my column. Well, uh, that's probably the best endorsement for a column I've heard in, in a very long time. Um, and I don't, I don't know if I can top iguana wrestling. So uh, let's call it an interview. Shall we uh, Francis have a good weekend and uh, we'll chat again soon. You too, buddy. Cheers. Cheers. There is Eric Francis on Eric Francis Fridays, brought to you by Hyde Infinity. Save up to $15,000 on the 2020 QX80 with a catch, uh, cash purchase. Hyatt Infinity, Heritage Meadows Road on Luxury Lane. Yes, I was not anticipating Googling iguana wrestling today, uh, but here we are. Uh, all right, we'll continue the hockey discussion on the other side. Take a bit of a break from the Flames talk, however. There was uh, a couple of matchups in the North Division, and one team who... I have to give credit where credit is due. That on the other side here on Hockey Central at Noon. Hockey Central at Noon on Sportsnet 960. The Fan. At noon, going into a long weekend, which I keep forgetting about because I'm taking next week off, so it's a very long weekend for me. But yes, it's a, a, a great time. Um... To just, again, bundle up, stay inside, watch a whole lot of hockey. And we're going to be having that with Hockey Day in Canada. Uh, the Edmonton Oilers, I don't believe, are participating in Hockey Day in Canada. They are the, the Canadian team that gets left out. But they are going into this long weekend on a, a high note. And, Logan, I said coming into this segment that I, I need to give credit where credit is due. I like to make fun of the Edmonton Oilers quite a bit. I like to make fun of Edmonton Oilers fans even more. Um, and especially so about the, the belief that Mike Smith is going to go in there and just completely turn things around for the Oilers. However, I have to admit, last night, 38 save shuttered against the Montreal Canadiens. That is a, a relatively big boy win for Edmonton. I'm not going to put it all the way in the big boy category because it's Montreal coming off of a, uh, in the second part of a back-to-back -back where they played the Toronto Maple Leafs and Jake Allen was between the pipes for Montreal. However, I still have to give some credit that that is one of the, the better wins this season for the Edmonton Oilers. So um, I, I do I do love making fun of them, but I do feel like I have to give them at least a little bit of credit here today. I'll be the, the, the classic negative towards the Oilers. I don't like Edmonton's never been a bad team. They've just never been a great team. And the only right. thing I would say about Mike Smith, and maybe a shorter season is the way to go about this in a different way for him. But hasn't he always been like this since going back to Calgary? He's really good sometimes and then really bad at other times. Yes. Yeah. Like, uh, don't yeah, get me that wrong. Consistency thing. Yeah. Don't be wrong. He's obviously still, at times, a very good NHL goaltender. It's just the down parts that, that tend to worry you. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. He's come back this season and really given them some solid goaltending. And I'm sure Koskinen's enjoyed the time off. I would just probably wait and see if he could do it for, for the remainder of what's going to be a busy schedule for them. They've got two goalies, so if they can keep him fresh, maybe that's the the solution. Yeah. 
And he's probably going to get a bit of the net here as Koskinen was definitely run into the ground in the last little bit. Uh, the Oilers currently sitting uh, third in the North Division right now. They are two point or tied, sorry, with Montreal, but they played two extra games. One point up on the Jets, who are in fourth, and three points up on the Flames, who are in fifth. However, Edmonton has played more than all of the teams that I just mentioned. Uh, another team that I, I do want to give a bit of props to, because again, I, I'm trying to broaden my horizons a little bit outside of the, the North Division, because I feel like we can really get kind of to, to steal the, the term that we use a lot in promos, kind of get laser focused on the North Division. And th there's some other pretty good hockey being played right now. And a lot of that is being played out in Florida. The, the Panthers with another win last night, they're eight one and two on the season. They beat Tampa Bay five, two last night. No Steven Stamkos for the bolts, but I I might have to start taking Florida serious, seriously here, Logo. They're 3-0-1 on the road to start this season. Bobrovsky's been okay. Chris Drieger's been very, very good for them. And I, I was wondering how much losing Dadanov and, and stuff like that would, would affect them. But they've been really good to start this season. And I think it might be time to start taking them seriously. I could see it happening. We've kind of felt like the entire tenure of Barkov and Huberto, we've been kind of waiting to take them seriously. I think that's not uh, too far of a statement mm -hmm. to go out and say. And look, it, we talk about good contracts all the time with like Kucherov, what he used to get, and the, the McKinnon contract. Sometimes you forget, and maybe this is more of an indictment on Florida than an actual compliment, but. Like Barkov and, and Huberto are under six million each. Oh. Like that's unbelievable value. And the fact that you haven't been able yeah. to win with that unbelievable value, mm, not great, Bob. Um <laughs> probably do more than that with that than you should, but at the same time, those are two elite level guys that you would absolutely take on your team any day of the week that are getting paid much less than they probably should. And those are two really good guys. They've always kind of felt like they were on the edge of being a good team and making the playoffs. They made all those moves last year, and then they cut the salary this year, and now they're being successful. I don't exactly know what it is, but maybe Joel Quenville is getting through to them, and Bill Zito taking over has found a, a nice formula for them because you're right, they've come out very, very hot to start the year. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and they have always been one of those teams where it's like, hey, this might click for them this year, and then it doesn't. And we, we just blame it on, ah, the Panthers. You know, like, it's just, we don't blame Huberto, we don't blame uh, Barkov. It's just, yeah, it's the Florida Panthers. That's, that's what they're going to do. But no, I, I think that this is a pretty fun team to watch, too. Like, Huberto and Barkov, that combination at being under $6 million a year for both of them is just remarkable. And Aaron Ekblad starting to get a little bit more comfortable after he took a, a bit of a sophomore dip a couple years ago. I like this team. I still, for sure, don't give Sergei Bobrovsky $10 million a season for a bunch of years and then draft a goalie in the first round and have two goalies playing against each other in the World Junior Hockey Championships. Like, definitely don't do that, but it's still fun to see that the, uh, the the Florida Panthers are able to do the damn thing right now, at least for the, the time being. On the opposite end of the good contract, things going well for this team uh, situation, the San Jose Sharks. They get run last night 6-2 to two 
and Martin Jones is not having a good time. Uh, Martin Jones gets called out by the coach last night, suggesting that he is not playing up to the standards of the team. And I would suggest with a 409 goals against average and an 865 save percentage, the coach is not wrong on that one. Uh, Logo, we've talked about it a little bit, but this is just kind of a a monthly reminder at just the, the remarkable level of screwed the San Jose Sharks are for a long time now. It's not good. It, it, they're really no. one of those teams that I... Maybe it's because they play in California that they don't get as much run around the league as they should. But, I mm-hmm. mean, there there probably isn't a team... And we talked about like how bad things looked in Tampa Bay this offseason with their cap problems. I don't even know what you do if you're Doug Wilson going forward. I don't even know that Doug Wilson will be the guy to make those decisions going forward because... He's the one that's put them in just an absolute mess of bad contracts, millions of dollars that you just you can't move. And now there's a flat cap. You especially can't move uh, these yeah. sort of guys. You've got this year and three more years of Martin Jones. You had to go in and bring in Devin Dubnik to try to stabilize your goaltending while you pay him almost $6 million a year. Uh, Eric Carlson has been a disaster since that trade happened, and he's he's got four points this year, four points, and you're paying him eleven and a half million dollars. It, it's like, it doesn't. It's but not. At it's, least you can't get right? out of those. You cannot. You can't bury that. Yeah. Well, and I, I was thinking maybe like, do you give Seattle a couple of picks to take one of them off your hands? Carlson, no movement clause. Uh, Mark Edward Vlasic, Vlasic, no movement clause. Like th- those guys. Probably the, like the first ones, Carlson probably especially, the first one that you just want to get that one off the books as quickly as you can. And I don't think there's any way he's waving to go to Seattle. Like I, I just, and I, I said Seattle more dismissively than I wanted to. L- lovely city, but it ain't San Jose. So I, yeah, I, I think they are, just, just a reminder, just how extraordinarily screwed the, the San Jose Sharks are. And for a very, very long time. Like it's going to cost you some of these guys. Like I'm, it's gonna cost you Kane, I think it. Yeah. It might cost you Hurdle, in a couple of years. Like that sort of thing. Like that's how bad of a spot they're in, and they've made some of these weird decisions over the last couple of years to, you know, move away from a, a Joe Pavelski and all those sort of things, so they could bring in Carlson and Kane. All it's just it is not good, and then they miss out on that pick last year. Uh, that wound up going to the Senators in that Carlson trade, they are in all sorts of trouble in San Jose. Yeah, they they really, really are. Uh, All right, that is going to do it for Hockey Central at noon. We'll keep the hockey talk going on the big show. Corey Sarich stops by at about 1.30 today. But on the other side, a very good win for the Calgary Flames in that the goalie was very, very good. We will continue to heap some praises on Markstrom and a big save in the NHL last night, last night has me kind of thinking about the, the whole team building thing again. We'll get into that in the first segment of the big show coming up next.